0: This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast.
1: Today is Wednesday, November 18th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is a very special edition of Franchise Today. Today, one that I might go so far as to say is the most important episode I've ever presented as pertains to the protection of franchising and the franchise business model as a way of doing business and as a way of life for those of us who live it and love it. That may seem a bit heady to some of you, but that is truly how I feel. I'm all but certain that there will be some in the audience that may be unhappy with this episode because of its political implications. But please, don't just dismiss today's message out of hand. Yes, there are politics associated with it, but so too is that true in all aspects of life, and we can not agree with them all, all of the time. My reason for bringing this conversation forward today is in an effort to do my bit to protect and defend franchising from becoming the victim of collateral damage, which would likely occur should the Senate flip blue as the result of two upcoming Georgia U.S. Senate runoff elections on January 5th, 2021. Let me make this as simple as I can. If someone were to hold a gun and threaten harm to a loved one, would their politics matter to you? Hell no. What would matter would be doing whatever you could to remove your loved one from harm's way. So, please listen to this interview in that context. Hear what is presented by my guests today, and then do what you will to support and protect our franchise business model in any way that you can to prevent this from going the wrong way. For my part, I'll have done what was in my power to do, and my hope is that this discussion with David Barr and Ron Feldman will persuade you to do your part as well. I'll be back in two minutes or less to kick it all off with David Barr and Ron Feldman. But first, this quick timeout.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. David Barr is the immediate past chair of the IFA. He's also a franchisor, franchisee, a respected thought leader, and as you will hear during this interview, a passionate member of the franchise community with several investments across a variety of startup, emerging, and legacy brands. David is also a Georgia resident. Ron Feldman is the past chair of the IFA Supplier Board, chief development officer at Apple Pie Capital, a past franchisee, a reluctant lobbyist, as you will hear him explain, a current member of the IFA Board of Directors, and a tireless advocate for the protection of franchising from any and all who would harm it, no matter their race, creed, color, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sex, or politics. During our time spent together today, we'll do our best to help you learn about an existential threat that looms over franchising from a single piece of pending legislation. It's called the PRO Act. It's already written into the Biden-Harris Democratic Party plank that, when taken up and passed by a majority, Democrat Senate, would forever change the business of franchising as we know it. Ron and David are here to break it all down, to describe these implications in plain English, so that we can all appreciate the urgency of this momentous, moment in time for all of us who earn our livings in franchising. Ron Feldman and David Barr. Welcome to Franchise Today. Good afternoon. Hello there. How are you? Unlike you, I'm kind of staying close to home these days, but I know you guys are out and about and traveling and doing all the things that you do to keep your businesses going. Guys, we're going to have a different kind of a conversation today than we usually have on Franchise Today. And the reason that the three of us are here today is to talk about something that is upcoming on January 5th, which is the Georgia runoff for the U.S. Senate. And we're gonna get to all of that in a minute or two and unpack some of why that matters to us here at Franchise Today. But I wanna start as I always do, even though this is a special edition of Franchise Today, the first question out of the gate is always the same. So I'm gonna ask David if you'd go first and share with the audience who you are and your associations with franchising, how long you've been around and how franchising found you.
2: Well thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a guest today, Stan. Oftentimes characterize myself as a finance person turned operator Turn strategist. So, quick few words to suggest a journey. That yes, my first interaction with franchising was as a 16-year-old, and my first job at Burger King. Did that through high school. Never dreamed that franchising would come back to me. But I went from there on to school at University of Virginia. Left there, went to Pricewaterhouse, Waterhouse, which is my finance part of me. Got a call one evening at about 10 o'clock at night, and said, "How would you like to work for a Fortune 50 company and never do accounting?" again? And I said sign me up and that company was PepsiCo and more specifically Pizza Hut and Pizza Hut had just started delivery that was 1991 and in starting delivery business. I think they really got in full force in the late 80s. It was heavy growth. It was exciting. Pizza Hut went from a zero in delivery sales to a billion dollars in less than five years. And I oftentimes tell people, if you can grab growth, grab it hard and just ride it. And so it was a wonderful opportunity. And my job was field finance and working with operators to improve margins. I had no balance sheet responsibilities. But what that meant was I was in restaurants every day. I got to learn the restaurant business. And I left in 1994, I became the CFO for Great American Cookies, the cookie retailers in the mall. And then subsequent to joining them, became the CEO. I ran that business till 1998 when we sold it on behalf of the shareholders. And so since 1998, my path has really taken two paths. One, I became a franchisee of KFC and then subsequently Taco Bell and then subsequent to that Capriati Sandwich Shops. And at the same time, I began sitting on board of directors on behalf of hedge funds, private equity funds and debt funds and through that process more recently have become an investor in a variety of different businesses, uh, such that I would now say I'm a franchisor or a franchisee and a supplier, a supplier in the sense that John Rachi and I started Franworth and we help uh, entrepreneurs achieve their dreams through the franchise business model. So a long-winded way of saying I touched franchising at the age of 16, Burger King, it really that rooting of being an employee first stayed with me when I was at Pizza Hut and then I was blessed enough to work on the franchisor side for six years and really learn the business, for lack of a better term, with someone else's money, and then had the opportunity to become a franchisee. And it's been a wonderful journey. It certainly has changed my life. It's provided me opportunities I never thought I would have. Blessed to be part of franchising to represent it in a leadership role and uh, glad to be here
1: with you today. And David just talk some about the leadership role that you've taken in IFA.
2: Yeah, so interestingly in 1994 when I was the CEO of Great American Cookies spoke a couple times at IFA, but never really got involved because we had a gentleman who's also a Georgia resident, Jim Squire, who ran our franchise development and our franchise relations efforts. And Jim was on the board at IFA at that time. So we had a plug-in, for lack of a better term, or a connection to IFA from Great American Cookies. And subsequent to that, in the late 90s, after selling Great American Cookies, spoke a couple times. At IFA events, but then really went away for about 10 years and began developing other businesses outside of franchising in addition to my franchise entities. And in 2009, Doc Cohen asked that I speak at an event that he was hosting, and I did so. Met some great people at IFA, and subsequent to that then, began getting more involved and was honored to be able to be the past chair, or the current past chair, but be the chairman of IFA in the 2019-2020. And maybe even a bigger blessing, Stan, is that my tenure as chairperson ended in the the third week in February 2020. Uh, and Catherine Monson took over the reins. She's done a terrific job during COVID, but certainly been trying times. But I, I say all that to say, you know, being part of IFA is like much else in life. You get out of it what you put in. I've received as much as I've given. And, and while it's been a lot of hard work at times, the friendships I've obtained, the knowledge I've obtained, and the connectivity to my business that I've obtained has all been wonderful.
1: Well, the passion, and your voice is evident and we're going to bring all that back around as to why we are here today and, and what it is we're going to talk about but we're going to let Ron take a crack at introducing himself as well a tough act to follow there Ron but I know who you are and how much you carry so have at it
3: well thanks Dan and thanks uh, David yeah you are a tough act to follow I will tell you we are very similar in the fact that we both got into franchising at the age of 16 and this Stan will have a connection to you I started working at Blimpy's when I was 16 illegally using a slot by the way, was too young, but the franchisee didn't really care, but did a roll up in the burglar alarm business in the 90s uh, that we exited in, in 2000 and uh, knowing we were going to exit, that wanted to have a plan to have our next business interest. And my wife interviewed to be a director of a preschool that was called the Goddard School. When she came back and said, they're franchised, I was like, wow, you shouldn't be a director, you should be an owner. So one thing led to another, and we met a guy named Tony Martino, who is in the IFA Hall of Fame. He started a few franchise companies, Amco, Mako, and Goddard, and became a franchisee in Goddard and started a school and and ran it for eight or nine years and successfully exited. Got involved in a couple of other franchises along the way and was a franchisee three times. But in meeting Tony Martino with my kind of acquisition background in the alarm business, he asked me if I could help him in putting a finance program together for his Mako franchisees. Uh, Back in the early 2000s, I was working with, uh, at the time, Bernie Siegel and Nate Greenberg, who who are longtime franchise people, and we put a program together for his franchisees that ultimately morphed into a business, and uh, been doing franchise finance ever since. With a stint along the way at Frandata doing advisory work and consulting. Fast forward to my current role at Apple Pie Capital. While I was at Frandata, we had a client who was the founder, Denise Thomas, of Apple Pie Capital on how to launch Apple Pie. I was the one who draw the long straw or the short straw, depending on. Who you ask and helped in the formation of the, basically the underwriting and the, and the business development model for Apple Pie. And fast forward another couple of years, and I joined Apple Pie. And that's where I currently hang my shingle. And in terms of the IFA, I guess my passion kindled in the Great Recession when the government made a couple of really bonehead decisions as it relates to financing acquisitions in the SBA world and was fast forwarded by Matt Shea to a very high visibility uh, within the organization went up on the hill I didn't have that on my CV before but now I' lobbyist on my CV not by choice ended up going on the hill quite a few times to fight that ultimately won it it was a technical thing where the SBA wouldn't allow goodwill to be financed in an acquisition which destroyed the resale market and franchising for a year and got involved on the supplier board got involved on a bunch of committees at the IFA and you know once you see Yes, yes, it just kind of morphs into one thing. I've passed chair of the supplier board and was elected to the IFA board uh, when I went off the supplier board. So I am currently a member of the IFA board of directors. Fast forward to here, not quite as crazy as David, but still a interconnected path.
1: So I would suggest that there is one common denominator here that the three of us share, and that is a passion for the business model. And we're talking about franchising. So in 2008, Ron, when the access to capital issue, seemed like it was going to become the next threat to the franchise business model. That really is dwarfed by what's going on today. And I'd like to ask either of you, maybe Ron, you first, to kind of just give a look at the landscape of why we're here to talk about January 5th today and why a Georgia election, runoff election for two United States senators is important to any and everyone in the franchise business, whether they live in Georgia or not.
3: Sure. To answer your question directly, the difference between 2008 and today is we all knew 2008 was going to be a temporary situation. There's going to be a recovery and those capital access issues ultimately went away. That's just a normal economic cycle that's painful while you're in it. Uh, What we're facing today is much more permanent and quite frankly, a threat to the whole business model as it relates to a number of issues. The hottest point is the joint employer rule. For those that don't understand that, it basically makes a franchisor liable for the actions of a franchisee's employees. And it creates a connection. And I'll let David speak much more eloquently on this than I do, but it creates a connection for a labor union to be able to organize an entire franchise brand by getting one franchisee to organize. And that is the uh, silver bullet that the, the union driving this has been the Service Employees International Union, who, by the way, spent $150 million on this presidential campaign. So they certainly have a vested interest in doing this. Uh, That's probably the number one risk in it. There's more than that, but uh, I think we should focus on that because that I believe is an existential threat to franchising. There's no reason for a franchisor to have franchisees if they have liability for their employees and only collect the royalty that they're collecting.
1: All right, so David, we've seen this joint employment issue for the last three or maybe four years already by now. Why does so much hinge on this election that's going to make a difference between what we've dealt with until now and what we would be dealing with should the Senate flip?
2: Yeah, in essence,
1: I think it's the difference between what might be considered regulatory
2: bodies and legislation. Probably everyone knows who's listening to this broadcast. As of today, pre-January 5th, the Republicans have 49 seats, the Democrats have 48. Of course, Joe Biden won the White House and the democrats hold the house and the issue is not a republican or democrat issue in my opinion it's just a business issue and it's uh, it's an understanding of business really since the beginning of time in america we have deemed and defined employers as those who have direct control over their employees. And under the Obama administration, uh, there were individuals in the Department of Labor and subsequently in the National Labor Relations Board who began a theory that employees did not have to be direct controlled, but instead could have the potential of indirect control. And so changing the word from direct to indirect and adding the word potential so they didn't even have to kind of state or or show factual basis that there was actual indirect control, but potential. Where does that play out? It plays out in our daily lives in a variety of different areas. Uh, I'll give a simple one that's non-franchising, just so people can think about it. If a restaurant engaged a company to do valet parking service for them, and the valet parking service hired someone to do the valet parking, and historically, that would be direct control from valet service to that valet and the restaurant would not have liability if in fact let's say that valet service didn't pay that individual who was parking the cars didn't pay him overtime the restaurant would have nothing to do with it right they hired a contractor under this rule indirect control would say no the restaurant by controlling the employer of this employee actually is the new employer. So how does that play out in franchising? As we think through franchising, which has another nuance to it, we have franchisors who then engage uh, or then sell, or not only sell, but license their trademarks to franchisees. Those franchisees operate under a business model in accordance with the franchisor's policies and procedures. And that franchisee then goes out and hires people. Well, under this theory, the person who has indirect control is really the franchisor. And the franchisor then, the employee of the franchisee becomes the employee of the franchisor. And if you do that, now it gets a little more nuanced. There's a theory. And not everyone agrees with this, but I would say many smart people in franchising agree with this, that if all of a sudden the franchisor is just one large employer, then clearly that employer could also be unionized in one vote and not multiple votes per franchisee. Why is that important to me? One, it's it's important to me because the essence of franchising is that we have small business people, entrepreneurs, who are licensing a system, a trademark from a franchisor, and they're going out and running their business. They are privately owned, independent businesses. The thought that all of a sudden, as a franchisee, I'm going to be putting capital at risk. And yet, under law, I could be a employee of my franchisor, and certainly my employees could be employees of the franchisor. And therefore, there could be future employment decisions made in an office eight states away, and I don't even get a seat at the table. That is just a direct shot, I think, on franchising. And I think franchising is the greatest democratization of wealth. It, it'll allows people to get into business and create something. And so why is it important? I think the difference is under the Obama administration, and when we talk that it's been talked about for years, it was always regulators. Being the Department of Labor, being the NLRB, and attempting to influence that policy and do it also through the courts. This would be the first time at the federal level we're seeing it legislated, and they would legislate it through what's called the PRO Act, which would allow for many of these actions to be codified and would be very difficult to overcome, I think, in, in the franchise industry.
3: And David, I'll just add on to that. The other thing that the Democratic platform is calling for is to repeal all right-to-work laws. And how many right-to-work states do we have in the country? I don't even know what the number is. This is all being driven by organized labor. I mean, that's really what it is.
1: Gentlemen, I think this is a great place for us to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, let's talk more about that PRO Act and how it's already sitting there as part of the Democratic plank and why this election is so important to not let the Senate pivot to a place where this becomes law. We're talking with David Barr, immediate past chair of the IFA, franchisor, franchisee, investor, supplier, Georgia resident, and Ron Feldman with Apple Pie Capital, and one of the strongest advocates for the IFA FranPAC in recent history. And we're talking about the existential threat that we all face should the Senate flip from red to blue. We'll be right back.
0: Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors.
1: This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific, and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zorical's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zorical's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zorical, spot on assessments based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoricalprofiles.com dot com. And our conversation continues with David Barr and Ron Feldman, and we are talking about the upcoming January 5th Senate runoff election, not one, but two, two Senate seats that actually are the deciding seats as to whether the Senate remains in Republican control or flips to the Democrats. And the conversation today, it's not about how you voted the top of the ticket and how good or bad you feel about what's going on as we await the certification of the election. What we're talking about is something called the PRO Act. This is an existential threat to us in franchising as a way of doing business. It's something that will be collateral damage should the Senate flipped, which is legislation that is already written. There would be a willingness that isn't there as long as the red firewall remains in place. So politics aside, folks, this is all about your way of doing business and earning a living. Ron, there's something called the ABC test that's part of this legislation. Can you explain what that looks like?
3: I will do my best. The ABC test is a change in, in what is deemed to be An independent contractor. And from a practical matter, the most visible thing we've seen is Uber and Lyft in California. There's a bill that passed and is now law called AB5 that was pushing and forcing Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all the other folks to make their drivers employees. The gig economy is what they all fall under, uh, spent a lot of money and got a ballot initiative in California that basically undid that portion of AB5. And a allowed their independent contractors to remain independent contractors, but specifically related to the gig economy. There's three tests, and I'm going to read it because it's easier than trying to explain it. The worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the work's performance, both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact. That's number one. Number two is the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And number three is that the worker is customarily engaged in an independent established trade occupation or business of the same nature as the work performed. That is very broad.
1: Put that into bite-sized pieces so that this audience who's not listening to legal use on a day-to-day basis really can digest what you've just served up.
3: Basically says that you need to meet all three of these things in order to be deemed an independent contractor.
1: So if you have a
3: cleaning service that comes in certain hours, then they're no longer an independent and contractor, that the worker is also performing work that is outside the hiring entity's business, and that they are truly independent from your business. Think about a franchisee, franchisor. If you can prove joint employer as one test and then say, well, now I'm a franchisee, but I fall short in any one of these three things, am I now an employee of the franchisor? And why did I risk my life savings to start this business? And ultimately, when I want to sell it, what's it really worth if I'm selling it to another employee. So it is a far stretch by the legislature to, it's actually anti-small business and pro-big business. They're trying to make everyone the employee of a large company. That At least that's my personal take on it.
2: Yeah. What's interesting is there were some 40 to 60 carve-outs of certain industries. For instance, if you think of the newspaper industry, newspaper boys, for lack of a better term, or those that stock newspapers or delivered newspapers, have always been independent contractors in that industry. They pick up newspapers, they deliver them to a route, they collect off the route, and they're an independent business person. Under this, uh, they got captured in the the C-test, or what Ron said, number three there, which is they're really operating the similar business as the newspaper. And so the newspaper now had employees. It was interesting that Sacramento B would not support this legislation until they got an exemption from the newspaper. So the legislator gave the newspaper industry an exemption so that their newspaper delivery people could be still maintained independent contractor, even though they got captured in this law. And that's, in essence, what Uber and Lyft just did on the last election, was they went out, spent over $100 million, and got the constituents of the state of California to say that this law does not apply to those businesses. But unfortunately, the franchising got caught in this net. The net was thrown in the water and pulled in, and they let some fish out, for lack of a better term, but they did not let franchising out. And IFA had fought hard to try to get an exemption. Uh, That has not been possible so far. And so that's the AB5 Test in California, which incorporates the ABC test that Ron just defined, but the PRO Act that we're talking about at the federal level is codifying the same test, the ABC test. So what is right now somewhat of a legislative disaster in the state of California would be scooped up and put in all states' from a federal position.
1: Correct me if I'm mistaken, but doesn't the franchisor too run the risk now of plaintiff attorneys going out and seeking ways to create lawsuits that could bring in the ZOR and name the ZOR as well as the Z? And if you think of emerging brands, especially, it
2: doesn't take more than one or two of those type of lawsuits to wipe out your annual profit for several years. And that's just defending it because you can stand, I think, fine today, counsels, given different opinions as to how this is all gonna play out. But the one thing we all do know, and I've had every counsel agree to, is there will be uncertainty, and there will be plaintiff's attorneys, and there will be lawsuits. How does all sort themselves out to be determined? But if you're a smaller brand and an in all involved in one of these, again, could put the whole or at risk as to the exposure based upon this ABC test or joint employer.
3: And I'll just add on to that. If you think about it, a franchisor is getting 5 6% of sales as a royalty, and that is their revenue. If they have employee liability for wage and hour claims, for workers' comp, I mean, who is the comp carrier in that case. There, I mean, it just it's just muddies the waters up from something that's been working for 50 years. They're changing something that's really been working pretty well for 50 years in in the whole franchise world. It's crazy.
1: So, what is it we are asking today? We're asking Ron for anyone and everyone who makes their living in franchising that has a friend, a relative, a family member, a franchisee, anybody who knows anybody who can cast their ballot in Georgia in these. Senate runoffs. We're asking them to do what?
3: We're asking them to make the decision. If I lived in Georgia, I would be a one issue voter on this particular case because I am in franchising. I believe in franchising. And this issue is more important than any other issue to me. And I'm asking everyone to consider that this issue be the issue that sways their vote. And if we have a divided government, divided government will be better for America. And in my opinion, the Georgia Senate races need to go red so that we can. Enjoy sure that stuff like this doesn't become legislation. Right now, as David said, it's always been regulatory or executive orders. Executive orders change and regulators change with every new administration. They're trying to codify this in permanent legislation. David,
1: I've read today that Democrats are actually trying to solicit people to move to Georgia between now and the 7th of December so that they could be here with enough time to register, even though they didn't vote in the general, that they would be able to, as legal residents by December 7th, vote in the runoff. What is it that we can do? What's your last parting thought uh, between now and January 5th to convince them that this is the most important decision they will ever vote on? Three words come to mind. I would engage,
2: I would educate, and I would activate. As far as engaging, I know many people are listening to this who are outside of Georgia, and you have some Georgia residents as well. So engage however you can. I believe the one way to do that if you're out is uh, if you can support one of the senators of your choice monetarily, that would be great. gonna be a lot of money flowing into this state on both sides and whether we like it or not, money matters in politics. So one, you can engage uh, if you're out of state and do it that way. You can, if you're in state, you can do it with your pocketbook or your feet, but get involved. As far as educate, certainly if you're in and around Georgia, but in addition, if you're a franchise or listening to this and you have franchisees in the state, educate them and ask them to educate others. We need people to know about this issue and the impact on this franchise industry. And then finally, it's activate. And that is, let's just not make it words. Let's really get out and do something about it. Let's make a difference. Our livelihoods for many of us are at stake. And I presume those who are listening in your audience today, their livelihoods are very dependent on this. This isn't just puffery and words that Ron and I are speaking. It truly is a huge shot at the bow of the ship of franchising. It's made a difference in my life. I want to make it safe so that franchising can make a difference in more lives in the
3: future. Read the platform. This is not press or spin. This is these things are literally on pages 14 and 15 of the Democratic platform in plain English. Just read it. Get educated. Educate everyone that you know. And to David's point activate and use your feet, use your mouth. This is a critical moment in the future of the franchise business model.
1: Ron Feldman, David Barr, thank you so much for joining me for this very special edition of Franchise Today. Thank you. Thank you. As I said at the outset, This has been a very different but important episode of Franchise Today. I know that some among you may be rankled by this, and while I make no apologies for presenting it, please know that insulting any of you was certainly not my intention. My treatment of this issue is remarkably similar to my approach to diversity. Those of you who know me know that I have long been an advocate for diversity in franchising. There, like here, I have never tried to influence anyone's social, moral, or political compass. Rather, I simply do my best, to make and share a business case for what i passionately believe is in the best interest of franchising and all of us in it so as we close out to-day i hope we've served up enough for you to chew on an appropriate choice of words i hope with thanksgiving just one week away Seriously, we are into the holiday season already, and 2021 will soon be knocking. Franchise Today will take a break next week, unless some breaking news compels us to post an episode. Otherwise, keep your distance and masks up, and as 2021 comes knocking, hopefully we'll enter the new year on more steady footing than we've had to deal with during this erratic year. But for now, you know the drill. Please stay safe. Keep doing the best you can. I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things
0: Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.